Welcome to The Rework with Allison Tyler-Jones, a podcast dedicated to inspiring portrait photographers to uniquely brand, profitably price, and confidently sell their best work. Allison has been doing just that for the last 15 years, and she's proven that it's possible to create unforgettable art and run a portrait business that supports your family and your dreams. All it takes is a little rework. Episodes will include interviews with experts from in and outside of the photo industry, mini workshops, and behind-the-scenes secrets that Allison uses in her portrait studio every single day. She will challenge your thinking and inspire your confidence to create a profitable, sustainable portrait business you love through continually refining and reworking your business. Let's do the rework. Welcome back to The Rework. Originally, this episode was going to be titled something really snappy, like the five biggest mistakes that portrait photographers make in their business or something like that. But after this long conversation with one of my dearest friends and one of the most smartest minds in the portrait industry, Kim Wiley from Kimberly Wiley Photography, there was only one possible title and it was Stepping Off the Ledge. Being an entrepreneur requires stepping off the ledge of all of us. It's trusting in something bigger than ourselves, being willing to do the work, put something out there, whether it's a price increase, a new marketing initiative, a different way of doing business, and trust that what is supposed to be will be, that the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, force bigger than ourselves is working in our favor rather than against us. The problem is there are so many that never take the leap. We stand on the edge looking for guarantees or second-guessing ourselves or worrying that somehow it's just not in the cards for us. It's, that's something that happens for other people. But I can tell you that it's not the case, that all of those leaps will show you who you are to yourself, allowing you with every leap, with every fall, with every time you fly, It will allow you to become clearer and clearer about who you are, about what you want out of your business, and more importantly, what you want out of your life. It also makes us more attractive to clients who see that and resonate with people that are truly who they are. So I'm so thrilled to bring to you today one of my favorite people in the world, Kim Wiley. And for anyone that is lucky enough to know this woman, they know She is fully who she is, and she makes her decisions from the heart, but also has an amazing financial brain. There are so many nuggets in this episode today that you could take away and use in your business. Some very small things, but I hope that you don't miss the overriding message, which is no matter how scary it is, sometimes you just have to take that first step off the ledge. And when you do, we're going to be here to help you do it. Enjoy. You know, this is like one of my dreams right now is to have <laughs> is to have one of our mind meld combos recorded for my listeners. So thank well, you. I'm pretty excited too. <laughs> so Kimberly Wiley, oh friend of mine, will you just give us a quick little rundown on who you are, where you've been, all the things for somebody that might not know you? Well, I know I'll keep it short because when I'm listening to these things, I like to just get into the meat of it, but mother of two, wife of one, (laughs) and really just 
had some of the best years of my life running my photography business for 20 plus years and just couldn't have loved it anymore. So that's kind of who I am. Children and families was my specialty. And I feel like anyone who is in this industry is very lucky for so many different reasons, which we'll get into, I'm sure, throughout the conversation. So you had a luxury portrait studio in Dallas, Texas. Correct. Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, it didn't start that way, but nope. that's okay. where we grew it. That's where we landed. And it was truly like just a blessing and a being of itself. I would call it my third child. I love oftentimes it. Oftentimes in my life because it needed that much attention <laughs> and so, more. Yes. So true. I, I can relate to that. So let's talk, let's just jump in and talk about, you know, you and I, between us have had a lot of experience in the industry. We both run very, very similar businesses and have had, and have a similar worldview and, but a little bit different journey. So with that, I wanted to talk about what we feel like are the biggest mistakes that we made or that photographers make that, that people coming into this industry make. Okay. So my journey started because I got a camera for Christmas gift. I'd always felt like I could see the world in pictures, especially whenever I was around a child. And Mm -hmm. so when I got this camera, it was a world very different than the one I was living in because I was in investment banking at the time and valuation, which is a subsection of that, basically valuing what companies are worth for lots of different applications, um, but a very heavy finance world. And then I got this camera and it opened this whole other side of my personality up. And I just found myself having what you call, I guess, the shutter bug. And I was just obsessed. I couldn't get enough of it. Every free minute I had, that's what I wanted to do and look at. And so I started my business maybe a little differently than a lot of people because I had no formal art education whatsoever, Mm -hmm. Uh, zero photography experience. In fact, when I got my first camera, people laughed at me because I was always the one who said, make sure you send me the pictures. I just never, I never had a camera. I'm kind of an all in person. So if I was going to get a camera, I didn't want like the little piddly thing. I wanted Mm -hmm. the big daddy. So I finally got my big daddy and I just couldn't learn fast enough. I read the manual. That's how I learned how to be a photographer. Learned learned it through the manual. So starting my business, I felt very insecure. I was definitely the imposter syndrome candidate. I felt like I knew what I wanted to be, but I wasn't there. So I felt very insecure in terms of charging enough and doing all the things that I know now were so important. What I did have in my favor was a very intense business knowledge of what it takes to be successful, a very solid understanding of revenue and expenses and you know all the things that bring money to the bottom line, right. but I didn't know the art side. So mistakes for me that I wish I had known more and also could pass along to some of your listeners is number one, no matter where you are in your journey, you have something to offer and being able to put your arms around that and give it a little hug and love on that and let it grow instead of looking to who you want to be and always constantly looking at the deficit, look at where you are. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what that translates into something a little bit more actionable is I would look at the people around me and what they were charging. And that's how I came up with my price list. 
I didn't look to the best in the industry. I just looked at to the lowest hanging fruit. So my first price list was very not profitable. It was based on insecurity and feeling like my art wasn't worth it. And so instead of charging what, you know, was worth it to the people at that moment, I was charging what I thought I was worth. So that would be my number one biggest mistake is rather than looking to your competition for your pricing, look at your costs, look at your time, let it be a little bit more of a business decision than a insecure decision as it was in my case. Okay. I'm going to stop you there because I couldn't agree more. I think that's probably the number one mistake. And we didn't actually talk about this before this week. We we're kind of going oh, a little bit into this line, which I love. I know. <laughs> but when you said, find something that you thinking that you are bringing something to the table that you, what you have, even if you're just starting out, it has value. And that is, we only have 24 hours in a day. We're human beings and we're dealing in a linear existence. And even just our time has value. The willingness to spend time photographing a family or interpreting that child in a way. Now it might not be as good, quote unquote, whatever that means compared to somebody else, but that doesn't really matter. You're still bringing value to the table. And if you're going to have a business that you need to put a price on that value. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. And then comparing, you know, we just came off a few weeks ago, we just did a a series with Jed Toffer about, you know, pricing and all of that kind of stuff. But I, I do feel like that, especially women, we don't tend to value our time as much as men do. Oh, I would 100% agree with that. I don't know why, but I think that that is definitely a problem. And I think a lot of times people don't view photography as true artwork. And so they also discount it because they're not putting the thing that they're doing into the right category in terms of the way people look at things to value. So not only are you maybe discounting who you are, but you're also maybe not giving enough credit to what you're providing in terms of art for these families and for the generations to come. And so there's a lot of wrapping your head around what's important and what's worth it. And when you think about someone who's buying your services at whatever level you're at, you've got to remember that is their cat's meow. So for instance, I always like to compare things to massages. So for instance, I sometimes go to Whole Foods and get a massage in the corner. Sometimes I go to the little Chinese places where they've got the amazing foot bath situation. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I want to go to the Ritz Carlton. Every single one of those things brings value to me. They're all different though. It's, It's what I'm looking for, what experience I'm looking for, what I'm trying to take from it. And as soon as I started thinking of things in that way, I could recognize that there was value at all different levels. And I needed to get rid of this imposter syndrome to be able to embrace that and charge what it was worth. Right. But what using your analogy, what I see as a a big mistake, and I was definitely doing this, is that I see a lot of photographers giving Ritz Carlton level of service, level of beauty of work (laughs) for the in the corner of Whole Foods next massage price. Oh gosh, yes. It was one of the things that I, I just, I mean, I was one of those. So we'll start there. I was one of those a hundred percent. But then as I learned, I grew into the Ritz Carlton pricing. I also grew into the Ritz Carlton confidence. And that was a big part of being able to do the pricing. In between those two things, there was a point where I had to jump off a ledge. Tell me about the ledge. 
Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you about the ledge. It was pricing ledge. It was a confidence ledge. And it was also a spiritual ledge. Spiritual meaning that I had reached a point. So to give you a little background, I started the business at just dumb prices. Like (laughs) I I see them out there though, still now. So I'm not calling you dumb if you happen to have any prices similar to what I had at the time, which was just extremely low. But I grew from that to a little bit smarter prices and then a little bit more smarter prices. And then I recognized that I was doing sales in a way that wasn't inefficient and our marketing could get improved. And so all these were little baby steps along the way. But when it really came to the cliff, what had happened is that we had built our volume to a level that was not sustainable. And we were shooting, like I remember one November, and this is going to sound insane because it was, but (laughs) we had 75 shoots in one month at the height of our volume. That year we shot over 400 sessions. And that's one photographer. Only photographer. We had a large staff, but I was the only photographer. And at the end of that period, my business partner and best friend, Jessica, was saying to me, Kim, your health is going to be compromised. We have to look at this. You can't continue doing this. We got to fix this. So what we did is we looked back at all the different points in our business of profitability. And what I saw was that our most profitable point was actually backwards. I kept trying to move us forward to get to this certain level of revenue. But the reality is that we were becoming less efficient, even though we were making more, quote, money. Mm -hmm. So basically at the end of that, I realized I was purely working to have more employees. It wasn't benefiting my bottom line as the owner of the business with Jessica. Can you put some numbers to that? Like, I mean, just what made you realize that? Because you're, I, you and I had this conversation. I know what you're talking about, but I feel like sometimes it's, you know, like when you're putting that many numbers, you were trying to get to a higher top line revenue, obviously, and also a bottom line revenue. Because that's right. the most important. Yes. But I think like I was so focused on the numbers being a finance individual that I was kind of missing the heart of it, like who I was as a person in that journey. I was just on this plow forward path. Going more, 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 more. Yeah. And when we sat down and looked at it and really crunched the numbers in a different way, which I encourage everybody to do this is a lot of times my numbers was how much money was I making per session? Mm -hmm. That's a key benchmark that as a business woman in photography or business person, period, men, women, that you've got to look at a key, key benchmark. But another session average, your session average. Yep. Absolutely. But the other one you need to look at is genuinely, and this is not for anybody but you, but really calculate how much time are you spending and then taking your salary and dividing it by your genuine hours. And I realized I might as well quit and go to McDonald's. Like I just wasn't making money. I was, but not for the amount of time and the sacrifices I was making for my family. That was what led me to the ledge. So did you realize like, so what, what did that look like? You, cause you thought you were having this great business. You had all these people you were quote unquote, the, the Holy grail of busy, right? Phone was ringing calendar booked. Yeah. And then you looked at like employees. So what kind of hours were you working? And oh my gosh. I mean, there were days I was lucky if I peed and and that's not even exaggerating. Like peeing was a luxury at some points. Like eating was totally not 
part of it. Staff would bring me food, set it on my desk. If you, if I ever had a conversation with someone, it was while I was working. I'd always say, I'm so sorry if I don't look you in the eye, but I am listening. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I was sort of mm-hmm. like, I, I wasn't present in anything I was doing because I was constantly working. My kids needed me. I would sit there and play Legos and I would think about, oh my gosh, so so-and-so's orders do, I got to get the da 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 Like I just was never present. And then when I was at work, I felt guilty because I wasn't with my kids. So I had a big problem. We call that, uh, my, my sister and I call that, we're just always in trouble. No matter where you are, you're always in trouble. You're never just able to be where you are. Because if you're at home with your kids, you're thinking about, I should be doing this at work. And these are all the things that need to be done. And then vice versa. If you're home, then you're letting some cli- a client down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so long story short, all of that led to this ledge. You would ask for numbers, hours. Let's see. I actually have this piece of paper. I had this kind of coming to Jesus moment. And I don't mean that figuratively. I literally mean I <laughs> three in the morning, I was having kind of some heart palpitations and physically I could tell that this was taking its toll on me. I wasn't happy as a mother. I, I wasn't satisfied in my work on, it was like, I was the Instagram of myself on the outside. It looked freaking fantastic. Sure. On the inside, when you looked under the hood, things were starting to break down. <laughs> yeah. And so wheels are coming off the bus. Quick. Oh yeah. Like full throttle down the hill mm-hmm. and I could see where we were going to land. And I knew something had to change, but I didn't know how, cause it was so scary. How do you go from a volume-based business to a luxury-based business. How do you do that without pissing off everybody and losing clients that you feel so emotionally attached to? And really what happened that night, I couldn't sleep and I got up and I went into a room and I just started journaling. I started writing down my feelings and it poured out. And it was really eye-opening when you do that because it's like you're talking to somebody else. So you're forced to formulate your thoughts in a different way. And when I did that, I recognized how much pain I was in. Like Mm. I I wasn't happy. And so I said, okay, well, what is it going to take? What is it going to take to be happy? Well, I had to start with what do I want? And so I knew I wanted to be able to pick up my kids three times a week. I didn't want to be the last person screeching through the parking lot (laughs) to get to the place before they either started calling me or charging me extra per minute. And that was like almost every night. And I wanted to pick them up at carpool time, three days a week. That was my goal. That was the end all be all. And so I started- that probably seemed like so undoable. Like, oh, it was like a pipe dream. Like who's freaking, what, why do I deserve that? Like, Mm. You know, like there was a lot of things impact in this. And the piece of paper I had was really, really like I have it and it's I've read back at it and it makes me want to cry. Because now being on the other side, I realize how, you know, just my priorities were not aligned with my heart. And I used to write a PPA article for the magazine and every month. And my favorite thing I ever wrote was. True happiness is when your actions line up with where your heart is. And mm-hmm. mine didn't at the time. And so when I came to that realization, I thought, you know what? This isn't worth it. And so I got a picture of my kids out. And every time I started getting terrified, like, oh my gosh, my clients are going to be so mad. Oh my gosh, I'm not going to be successful. Oh my gosh, this is not me. 
I'd stare at the picture of my family, my husband and my kids, and just be like, this isn't, my life is not for my clients. My life is for my family. Mm. Make sure I do things with that in mind. And that's when we rewrote our business. Jessica and I would sit down and we sat and I, that night, what I did was I came up with how many sessions at what sales average would give me the top line. And then what I did is I took the expense profile of our most profitable time period and looked at that. And it was really eye-opening to recognize that my path to happiness was going backwards, not forwards. What do you mean by that? Being a numbers person, success equaled more sessions, more revenue, more employees, more whatever. Growth. Just more. Yeah. Supposed but, the growth. Right. Defined right. by not you. Yeah. Right. Well, the, partially defined by my messed up mind, but <laughs> yeah. when it came down to it, like, oh, as smart as I was, it's pretty dumb, you know, and looking at our most profitable time period, it was a lot smaller. Everything was smaller. Our studio was smaller. Our staff was smaller. Even our session count was smaller. So I re- recognized, okay, wait a minute. Back then we didn't even have the top line that we had now, but we were more profitable then than we are now. So but more. So your bottom line was better. Yes. Yeah. Hands down. So what you were taking home was better in the slower, less, yeah. less staff left time than right. in this go, go, go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you make sure I'm understanding. hours per dollar mm-hmm. and then your family life and, you know, whether or not you get to pee and eat yeah. and it matters. <laughs> yes. So what I did it's was to do. I, I talked to um, Laura Novak one day, kind of like you and I, we would sit and we would talk about all kinds of things. And one of the things she said to me, that I will tell people, including my kids, is success is not always a linear 45 degree angle straight up. And as a finance person, that's what success looked like to me. Mm -hmm. She said, oftentimes it looks like a zigzag. And I thought, wow, okay, that works for me. I can do that. And then the other thing I learned is that sometimes good is good enough. So when I sit there and obsess over a picture in Photoshop or a Christmas card or whatever, there's a risk benefit return in how much time I'm spending on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. All this obsessing, is that actually going to even be noticed by anybody but me? Or even will I notice it when it's done? Like I'm just being OCD here, Kim, calm down, shut the computer, move on. Right. And so I started to have to learn to let some things go. And I'm not saying give a lesser product to your client, but there is a point where that last 5% of what you're doing, that's taking the extra hours, not worth it. It's not well, worth it. it yeah. It just becomes, it can be kind I think it can be kind of, I think it can become an addiction in and of itself in a way like that. Somehow we have this, this hyper vigilant, you know, expectation or whatever that if, unless we killed ourselves, over yeah. it. And I think that is a leftover thing from when you first enter into your 
career or a new thing, it takes you so much to learn. It's so hard, you know, and like figuring out, you know, whether it's the lighting or the camera or whatever, or directing the session. And so it's always, you kind of go into those first sessions and you're like, oh my gosh, I hope I can make this happen. And so you have this, you get addicted to your own adrenaline. And then after a while you got it, like you, you know, it, you've, you've mastered your craft. You can roll in. You don't have to be on high alert and freak out. You can just go in and actually enjoy it. But somehow then that feels like, well, maybe I'm not doing it to the top level. Cause there's always more, you can always do better. You can always gild that Lily, you know, so let's just kill ourselves even more rather than like, well, could we just do the great work that we do and do it for this client this time rather than right. it's like, you almost feel like pain is supposed to be part of this process. Yes. And, and it's like, if yeah. you're not in pain, then you're not doing it right. Or you're not pushing hard enough or you're not yeah. being good enough. And, and, and I think that's part of, that. of the arts. I think that is a creative entrepreneur, like by definition. Yeah. And then also I, the thing that I'm hearing as you're saying this, that kind of repeats again and again, and it's really where you started which is, you know, when you started with your pricing, okay, I'm just going to copy what other people are doing, but what you came out of a business, out of a career in finance, you knew what makes a successful business, the components of that. And even still, you kind of put the layer of the status quo in our industry on top of that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like, so not only did we, and you and I, I'll say we, because we both did this, we let other people define our pricing structure, we also let other people define what we thought success was or what success looked like. Oh, definitely. And I think it was during that time period when I wrote this article series for the magazine that I was processing a lot of this information. And so I almost processed through my writing. Mm. And it's so funny because when I got to the other side, one day I called the editor and I said, I think this might be my last month. I can write for another month or two if you need me to. But I think this might be my last month. And she said, well, why? And I said, well, I just don't think I have a whole lot more to say. And she just laughed at me and she said, Kim, oh my gosh, most people just want to keep writing. Like, are you sure? And I said, no, like, I, I don't know if I have anything truly, like I felt like I kind of reached the other side and shared what I could. Now, of course, given another year, I had plenty to say again. Sure. But at the moment, I I felt very satisfied, like, I kind of reached my own answer in my own journey. And that was part of the process. I took my readers on with me. And so that coming to Jesus night where I was just like, oh my gosh, I got to fix this. That's the night everything changed. I, I changed everything in my business, my attitude, who I was, the way I approached life. It truly was a fork in the road for me that night. And what I did putting kind of my business mind on without the filter of insecurity. I owned who I was. I knew I was smarter than what I was being. I knew we could be better than what we were doing. I just was scared. And so I had to put the fear side, put the business hat back on. And I did what I was good at before I started my business and figured out how can I make money at this? I'm not in this for charity. I'm acting like that though. Like I'm basically in this business right now, giving everything away when you look down at the true numbers of it. And in that process, I came up with the income statement, if you will, of success. How much revenue did I need to make and what kind of expense level did we need? So to give you idea, we had a 3,500 square foot studio. We spent 
approximately seven grand per month on rent alone. If you're vomiting out there, that's an accurate response. It's like so much money for a business to make up just that one number. Cause then on top of that, you got to add all the things that go with it. Sure. All the furniture and all, you know, just all the utilities, et cetera, et cetera. So we had a very high expense load. We also had a dream studio that we got to build from scratch. So when I'm sitting at this, I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. Like, how are we going to do this? We're in a lease. Like, I mean, you just keep coming up against these roadblocks. And if I had let the roadblocks stop me, I would have never landed where I did. Okay. So how did you, because I'm, I'm imagining you just said a couple of the fears. One is there's no way our clients are going to go on this journey with me. We're going to lose everybody. Uh, we have this huge studio. We have to, I'm responsible for all these people. Right. So when you came up against those things, what was the thing? Was it the picture of your kids that just said there has to be a way or I, I'm, it has to change. So yeah. that was at the core was okay, no matter so what, this has to change. The things that prevented me from falling back into the hole. Yes. Number one was my faith. I knew at that point there was a bigger, better plan for me. I just had to listen. Number two was I had Jessica. So Jessica is my business partner, but she's also my best friend. So she was not, it's interesting. Our motto and the reason why I believe we were successful as two people running a business as best friends, because that's a tough thing. We were warned against a thousand times over is that when we were in college, we used to like keep track of, oh, I bought lunch, you bought drinks, like because neither one of us wanted to owe each other any money. At the end of it, just calculated it. And over three months, she owed me 25 cents. <laughs> so we made a bet, not a bet, a deal, a handshake right then and there. For the rest of our lives, we would never, ever calculate who owes what. Because we knew when you have two people who are givers, you don't have to worry about someone taking too much. Sure. And so when we started our business, people kept going, oh, I'm scared for you guys. Oh, I don't know if your friendship's going to last. And there were a few doozy moments, you know, as you would expect. But Mm -hmm. in the end, God over greed was our motto. And it carried us through those times. And in these moments where I was the one pushing the train and Jessica's going, hey, Kim, worried about you. Hey, Kim, I'm worried about me. (laughs) Yeah. This is not good for either of us. That process of us having that moment of reaching the cliff was one we did together. So she was there for me. So that was the other thing. I had support of her and my husband. And then the picture of my family, knowing that every time I was making a bad choice, I was sacrificing them. It's very easy to sacrifice yourself. Sure. Especially as a mom. Of course. That's what we do. Yeah. You don't think much of it because you don't really give that value to it. But when I started thinking of the memories and the moments I was sacrificing for them, my price went automatically up because the value of my minute changed. I didn't care if I was a photographer or doing something else at this point. What I recognized is that Kimberly Wiley was worth more than what I was making. Because if I'm going to do something, it better be worth it. I'd rather do nothing or do something else. Yeah. yeah. Stay home. That's my like thing that changed everything is that realization is if I can't make the money that I know is worth my time away from my kids, then I'm going to go do something different. I'll go back to finance. I'll find another job. I'll do something different because at the end of my life, I don't want to look back and regret every minute I lost through my kid's childhood because I was scared. 
Right. So I thought, well, okay, push is coming to shove. So Jesse and I looked at it and we're like, okay, well, what do we have to make per session to make this plan work? How much rent do we need to be spending? Um, where can we cut costs? And we went line item by line item of every single penny we spent. Things like, why do we have 18 pairs of scissors in the studio? Because we're <laughs> lazy. We don't look for the scissors. We just order more, mm-hmm. you know, just stupid expenses that we're spending money, wasting money, wasting time. All of that came to a very quick stop. Looked at staff. Do we need this many people? And we went to start looking around for a new studio. And this is when I knew God was on this path because when things work out, you know, you're on the right path. And so we went and looked and found this studio that was going to be not even close to what we wanted, but it was the right price. We could make it work. We'd have to combine sales sessions with the studio. So it'd be kind of a dual purpose room. Neither one of us wanted that because Jessica did our sales and obviously I was a photographer. But you know what? In this new plan, we got to be open to new thoughts. It was we challenged every single assumption we had in our business. In the end, we went to our landlord and said, we were about to sign on the dotted line. And we went to our landlord and said, hey, here's the deal. Gave him the whole spiel. We'd like to know how much it would cost to get out of our lease. And he said, well, why didn't you come to me first? Hmm. And we said, well, we just assumed that you would want to you know, have us pay a fee and then rent this to someone else. And he said, well, don't make assumptions. Talk to me about what it is you need. This angel reworked our studio with us to give us exactly what we needed for the same price. And so that's when we knew, bingo, we're on the right path. And I don't mean that things just should fall into place quite like that for it to be right. But you know, when you're on the right path, you feel it in your bones. And I knew, okay, this is right. So we closed the studio for about a couple of weeks. We did the fastest turnaround. We shot like mad. And then we sold like mad. And then we used the downtime of construction to produce because we could produce without the studio. Mm -hmm. And it was insane. But we went from 3,500 square feet to 1,500 square feet. And we brought our rent down into the twos, two, three numbers, much more manageable. We took away the senior business we're trying to grow because it wasn't working. Like, again, it wasn't working. Listen to what's being told to you. Trying three different things wasn't working. Time to (laughs) say goodbye. Yep. So we got rid of the senior business. We shored up our staff and got way more efficient. Got we rid of some our, people. Yeah, we asked our staff, hey, do you really want a full-time job? Because you know what? We don't. So if you're okay doing part-time, we will make sure it's worth your time. But that really helped our employee costs. And then, like I said, we went through every single expense item and just cut what we could. We, you know, just looked at everything we could to just bring this number down. And then we went from, like I said earlier, our highest number was, I think it was like 430 sessions one year. And at the time when we were doing this analysis, I remember looking at 250 is going to be the golden number. So one year we did 250. I felt absolutely no relief. It was still too much. It was just way too much. Mm -hmm. Then I thought, oh my gosh. So I'd put these numbers on like this many sessions per month. And I'd be like, that's not possible. 
it's not possible to make money that way. I also can't imagine shooting so little, like what the heck? Kind of like without the pain, this is not right. It's never going to work unless we work every hour of the day and night. Like I must slit blood from my body. Yeah. I got to open a vein and like just pour on out. Right. Okay. I love, okay. I'm going to stop you there for one second. So for our listeners, I want you to pay close attention because she just talked, Kim is talking about reducing the overhead. So you did that, but that only goes so far. You know, if neither of you wanted to work out of your home, you're you're only going to be able to reduce your, your nut so far. So at some point, and I love all of those ideas, you know, the subscriptions, the over-ordering, the talking to your landlord, making no assumptions that if you don't ask, you don't get. You know, so you you sure. just like you were like, this is happening no matter what. Even if we have to go to a less desirable space, we will do it, but have those conversations. So you're reducing that. But then you also are saying, I have to reduce the workload too. Yeah. And I, I can't reduce the money. I, I no. have, right. In we, fact, we gotta figure out how to increase it. Okay. Right. So yes. we're talking about like a movie, a, a yeah. lifetime movie here of like how everything's just magically gonna work. And all that, but that's what faith is. Faith is taking those leaps and doing things that you don't think is possible. And And, and but I I remember you telling me when you we were coming up with these session numbers. So you went from four hundred thirty sessions, and you went to two fifty, and you told me there was a process by which you decided on session numbers, and it involved you like thinking about numbers and putting your hand on your heart. It was very scientific. I'm very scientific. So tell on the heart is scientific. Share share that because actually I really took, I took that to heart, no pun intended. And I use, (laughs) I use that and that is, that's a real thing. So explain how that happened. Well, I think the, the general lesson in this is honoring who you are as a person. And I hadn't been doing that. Actually I had in a weird way because it came from finance and I was honoring more, 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 more. But the artist in me and the human in me was not being honored. The mother, the wife, the friend, the hungry person who had to go to the bathroom, those people were not being honored, you know? So it's like, all right. So Jessica and I would, we called it trying on different outfits. And so I'd be like, okay, let's try on this outfit. And so I would do this whole Excel spreadsheet with how many sessions per month. And we would plug in, okay, in January, we're going to do four sessions. Who does four sessions a month in January? That seemed absurd to us. Okay. We're like absurdly okay. low or absurdly high. Low. Like, okay. Okay. I just like, I don't understand. I'm not used to this. So yeah. if you had seen our numbers of what we used to do is keep track of is this very complicated, not complicated, but it's very important part of our business of how we kept track of our sessions. It was like very numbers based and we would break it down by what we did per month. Okay. And so when looking at every month from the past, trying to come up with this new version, it just didn't make sense. And so we thought, okay, to get to the lifestyle we're talking about, I was also having some major like knee and shoulder issues that were definitely going to need to be addressed. And we knew that was coming. So I needed less volume to be able to sustain working. And so we would come up with these numbers. It was like, okay, let's see what, oh my God, like less than 200 sessions looks like per month. And we'd be like, okay. Per year, 200 per year. 200 per year. Yeah. But like per month, what does that look like? Right, exactly. How many of that falls in Christmas time? And 
you know, the seasonality and like, we would do that. And I would sit there and be like, put my hand on my heart and go, okay, does this bring me joy? This is pre Marie Kondo, by the way, people like a hundred percent. Yes, it was. Kimberly Wiley I can Kondo. verify it was pre Marie <laughs> yeah. Kondo. Like, does this honor me? Does this honor Jessica? Does this honor our families? And I'd be like, no, it doesn't. I'm still miserable. I can feel it. Okay. What if we do this many, you know, and type yeah. in the numbers and, and it came down to like, 125 sessions per year. And I was like, I don't think I can do that. You're probably listening thinking that's a lot. She can't do that. No, I didn't think I could do that because I felt like a total. It was too, like, lo- too what am I going to do? Just eat bonbons? A slacker. Like, yeah. Slacker. I'm a worker. I'm not a slacker. This felt mm-hmm. very, very foreign to me. But that's where the numbers, that's where the heart test landed us was right around that 125. So we flitted between call it 120 and 150 for a long time. And we found great, massive, life-changing success in that number. And we were able to be moms. We were able to be best friends again. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were able to be wives. We were able to be friends. And we got to eat and Go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. together, so not, nice. well, not the bathroom part, but we, used, we never got to go to lunch. We would go to lunch. We'd have staff outings. We got to do the things that should make work fun. And I also got to spend more time with my clients. I used mm. to feel like I was sh- rushing people through with the biggest smile and the most attention I could give someone, but they definitely had a time limit that I knew. And uh, my alarm would go off when it was time to move on. And now I had the freedom to spend a little bit more time getting to know them as people and getting to know the kids differently. And when you translates into a better experience. Yeah. Well, and better images, you know, and ideas, better sales. Oh gosh. Yes. So to take this extremely long story is that what happened is we realized a couple of things. Number one, a lot of people were coming to us for the brand name of the Christmas card. That was a problem. Our Christmas cards are not money makers. They are marketing. That is a marketing tool for us and a wonderful thing that creates the call to action for our clients. We are known for custom Christmas cards, very similar to what you do, as you know. And we had clients that our cards were their biggest family tradition during the holidays. It, mm-hmm. Everything kind of circled around when they were getting their pictures, what they were going to wear this year, what funny saying are we going to do? And so it became the glue, the sticky stuff that kept them with us because that's where the relationships really got involved. Now, the good clients would also order artwork and there's no bad clients, but the less profitable clients really just wanted the Christmas card. And we started recognizing that this is a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to order a thousand Christmas cards and order the top card, that's different. Now you're still a profitable client. But if you're ordering the smallest card with small numbers, the amount of time it took to go into that was just not okay. And so that was one realization. We also realized that we had a lot of people that would come in, get the session done, and then we'd give them this heart felt presentation to music and tissue box included. And then they would be so overwhelmed and not prepared for their, their pocketbook part of it. And then would end up with clients that just could not make decisions. And we would end up not making money because they couldn't figure out what to do. Never finalize the order. 
they never would finalize order. So that was another segment. And then we had clients that maybe weren't the right clients for us in this next stage of business. And that was the hardest part because we loved these people. And it hurt both of our feelings to think about losing them or hurting their feelings. But in the end, looking at that picture and remembering the rod of the the strength, the lightning bolt of why we're doing this, that decision to make that leap became easier knowing that some of those people would probably go away because we were choosing our families over any certain client. Okay. So rather than speak in euphemisms, I want to be like really clear on that. So what you did then is you said, we are now doing less sessions, significantly less. We're going from 400 plus to 120 plus. So 120 plus sessions, that average, in order to make the same or more money, that average has to be considerably higher than the 430 session average, right? And so then that requires new rules, new products, maybe? Oh, everything was an overhaul. Okay. Like when I say we challenged every aspect of our business, we did. Instead, what happened is instead of following other photographers that I thought was the way to do it, Mm -hmm. we took our own personal input. We said, screw it. This is not the way anyone does it, but this is the way if we're going to be in this business, these are our terms. Absolutely. This is the way we're going to do it. And some people might think we're absolutely insane. Because it wasn't the way things were done yet. Yep. But we knew we had to do something to get rid of these problems. The Christmas cards, the no orders, low minimum orders that equaled. I mean, on average, we would spend eight hours per client. Mm -hmm. From the time you talk to them to the time you deliver your order, there are oftentimes eight hours that goes by. If they order a very small amount, a couple hundred dollars, 300, 400, $500 orders, like I'm not making any money. You're paying paying the work. I'm paying the clients to come to us. This is you're paying money to be away from your family. Yeah. Like, geez, might as well quit. Just, you know, you can play Legos with your kid for free. You don't have to pay for that privilege. Yeah. Exactly. So, So anyway, what we did was we were part of a masterminds group at the time, full of some true brilliant people. And we brainstormed with them. And then we would think about the different ideas, kind of the same heart thing. And it was in talking with Julia Woods that collectively we came up with this idea to solve some of these problems. Number one is that we changed our session fee, which I believe was around 200 or 250, something like that Mm -hmm. at the time. And that's the only barrier to entry financially that we had was this low session fee. And it's not that low necessarily, but when nobody orders, that's low because that's all the money you've got. That's the only guarantee, right? Okay. And so we changed our barrier entry from that to $1,500. Okay. And what did they get for that? What they got was 350 of that went to my creative time. Okay. Um, and then the rest became a deposit on their order. Okay. And, th- and at that point, we're recognizing that our minimum order just went from zero to $1,200, somewhere in that department, $1,150 or whatever. And that alone, if you calculate that, changes things drastically. Okay. So number one, what happens when we did this is the people who called who wanted Christmas cards only now had to ask lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Oh, another thing we did is we add a $75 design fee. 
on top of the price of the cards. They also okay. increased the prices of our cards. Mm-hmm. And we started limiting, not necessarily to the clients, but in our own designs, we started limiting how many pictures we put on the images we put on the cards. Um, yes. Certain clients, we would completely blow that out of the water for because they were our number ones who valued artwork. They valued the cards. I mean, they ordered and we knew that was okay, but in general- you'd already retouched them for other product so that it gave you more to use. Mm -hmm. So we changed the way we did our Christmas cards. We changed the session fee. We looked at our prices for our products and what products we were selling. And one of the best analogies I can give you is this. When I got married- There was a wedding planner who told me, pick two or three words with your husband of what you want guests to walk away saying, oh my gosh, Kim and Mike's wedding was blank and blank. What do you want those two words to be? And every decision you make for your wedding, if you're put up, so our words was classic and fun. So we were put up with some different design options and some were trendy or like, just different things, but they weren't classic. And it just made, I loved some of the other things, but I wanted my wedding to be classic. So it made the decision-making process so much easier. And we had such a beautiful wedding that was so much fun because we put the majority of our money into the things that equaled those two adjectives. And when we look back at our wedding, we have the most fond memories because it, it was cohesive. Mm-hmm. I take that same thought process when I was doing anything related to our business once I started being in charge. Not me, Jessica and me, but sure. me not right. looking to the masses. And so when we'd walk the trade floor at imaging or somewhere like that, we would go through and Jessica would laugh at me because this is my OCD coming out. We'd have to start at booth number one <laughs> and go in order. And see everything in order. And I've walked that show with you before. I know. I know. I know your OCD tendencies. I know. It's a process being my friend. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would look at a product and be like, oh my gosh, this is so cute. I love this. Is this so not KWP material? Dang it. I can't offer this, you know? And it's like, yeah. oh, because it didn't go through our cheesecloth filter of our words, yes. you know, high-end luxury, classic, timeless, and minimalist is, is kind of where our brand stood. Very similar to yours, although yours would add in off the charts fun, whereas ours was a little bit more not quite so wild in some well, yours is very that, yours. You, know? you have a huge, very heartfelt. Your yours is very, I think there's an organic, very yeah, heartfelt. I would always try and capture the heart of the person where mm-hmm. when yours, I look at your work, I want to like jump from the rafters, eating candy and screaming for joy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and yours, I, I mean, just want to cuddle up with the family. Like, oh, I love them yes, so much, oh you know, gosh, which yeah. I think, but I, I think, I think it's good to highlight that because, you know, um, when I, in the art of selling art course that we created last year, I have this whole part about like creating that brand filter and you just said it basically in your whole wedding planner story that, yeah. And, and I think the thing that I want to highlight here too, and I don't want to get lost is that of course we need to learn from people and mentors and people who have gone before us and have done things, but that doesn't mean that how they're doing is going to fit our life. And so you and I, I have seven kids. You have two. Right. We're all in on the business. My husband works with me in the business. Your husband didn't, you know, but you still 
had to have a career. It wasn't like, oh, this is just fun for you and you don't need to make the money. That was part of like that. Of course you had to make the money because that was your career, you know? So we can decide how to do it and it can be based around what we love, what's important to us, what has meaning for us. And then we can bake every bit of that into our own businesses. So then the business becomes fully alive and fully supporting the things that are important to us rather than us sacrificing everything that's important to us on the altar of this business and what everybody else thinks should be successful. Yeah. And I know a lot of photographers are like, well, how do I find my style? That's like when I used to teach, that was one of the number one questions. Mm -hmm. And the analogy of you and me is a great thing because we both are drawn to black and white. We're both drawn to minimalist card design and style of posing and backgrounds. I do outdoors. You don't is one difference, but even in my outdoor sessions, I don't have any props or things. It's just very natural. Still, it's still timeless, you know, cause that was mm-hmm. one thing I just, I didn't want to have some prop in there that dated sure. this type of photography. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just not who I was. And so, you know, you could look at our work and in one picture, you might think, okay, this image looks like they're both the exact same style. But then Mm -hmm. if you look at our broader portfolios, you would see a drastic difference in who Mm -hmm. we are, how we translate those same words in some ways. And so what I would say to people who are looking for how do I figure out who I am as an artist is that it's almost the heart, hand on heart test. When you're doing something, do you feel that little electricity of like, oh my gosh, this is the best. Oh my gosh, I love this. Oh my gosh, yes. that's the best shot. Like, da, 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 da. when you get that feeling, take note of it. You're onto something. And for Allison, that's probably, you know, a kid making a weird face at the camera and like a kid shaking his butt. Yeah. You know, like, whereas for me, it was that perfect kids snuggled tightly together and I felt like I could see through them and feel their soul. Like, mm-hmm. very different. But then you build your brand around that. And that's when you start developing who you are and, you know, taking the time to do things like Pinterest or Instagram, where you're saving things that, you know, you love when you look back at what you love, oftentimes there's a theme. And if you look at those themes, you can extrapolate what's important to you and what kind of person you are as a person because as artists, that's truly all it is, is extensions of who we are. Absolutely. You know? And so I think that that is one of the things that we kind of got off topic of the jumping off the cliff thing, but I think no, that's important. But I, but I don't think we are off topic because I think the reason that you jumped off a cliff, the reason that you were at the edge of the cliff with your toes hanging over and the little gravel falling into the Grand Canyon is that I'm not who I am. I'm not being true to who I am. Nope. I love my kids beyond a reason. I don't know anybody that loves their kids more than you love your kids. I I really don't. I mean, I have a lot of friends that are moms, but like you, like that is core. And I think we all love our kids, but really, you really (laughs) love your kids, you know? And so I can imagine that you, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm sure everybody loves their kids. And I know you love your kids. I do, but I'm just saying that was causing you a level of pain that I think maybe some of us might have not reached a little bit later. So luckily you reached that level when your kids were younger and you realized you yeah. recognize that I don't have that much time with them. And so I need to be here. Okay. So right. I think a lot of us realize that. And then also realizing 
I don't like that I'm spending a tiny bit of time with a bunch of people. I love it when I have more time and we're actually more profitable and we do better when we have less staff, less crazy. And I have more time with these clients to love on them like I would my family. And so those are two things right there. Like, as I'm looking at this from the outside, looking in is like, okay, then she became more and more true to herself. And she, as she became more and more true to herself, it all got better. And the way became more clear. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that is exactly how my journey, but different than yours, but same. It was just like, I, well, nobody's doing it like this. Yeah. And so maybe somehow then that meant made it wrong. Exactly. You know, like, <laughs> Like maybe that, maybe, maybe not only is it not wrong, maybe it's the most genius thing ever. Yes. And that is when I think of you, I think of us driving. I mean, 99% of our long conversations happen in the car and I arrive home and I proceed to sit in my car for an additional (laughs) hour and my husband comes up. What are you doing? Oh, I'm talking to ATJ. Oh, okay. I'll (laughs) see you later then. (laughs) Because we get on these genius tracks that like, I mean, it's just. I love the business. I miss it. I miss it so much, but I love it. And so I'm so excited to be talking to you and all your listeners today because it's such a gift to be able to do what we do. And to finish the Cliff story, to wrap that part up, it's that I'll never forget the day we launched this new program. A couple things for anyone who's thinking about making a large change, some tips on how to do that would be number one is to really spend some time with your client list. What we did is we categorized all the clients. Every single client was special to us, but when it comes into a profitability standpoint, you can group them into best, better, and good, or one, two, three is the way we called it. Mm -hmm. And so ones were our clients that were the cat's meow. They're the ones that you would do anything for because they truly were on the same wavelength as you. Twos are the bulk of your business. And threes are the ones that for every change you make, you will lose your threes, replace your twos with better twos, and then you grow your ones. That's the goal for every change. Doing that was very eye-opening. We saw that we had a lot of clients across the board because we were not defined. We did not have a specific mm-hmm. brand in terms of what we were. We were not classified at that point in time as high end. I think some people viewed us that way, but our pricing didn't reflect that. Right. We were giving more than what we were charging. So our products and everything were high end, but our pricing was not. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of clients. You were doing the Ritz-Carlton massage for the Whole Foods price. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so we had a lot of clients and that didn't fit the right profile. And so with this $1,500 change, what happened is obviously we lost a lot of threes. We also lost some twos, Mm -hmm. but that's okay because some of the twos became our new threes. Some of the twos that were twos all of a sudden became ones Mm -hmm. because they didn't know that we were capable of what we weren't putting out there. And so the process of this is that you don't want to assume anything about anybody. Some of our threes became ones, yep. but we did lose a lot of threes and a good portion of twos, but that was the goal. And that was the process of what we were trying to do. And so every time we did lose someone, we had to, again, look at the picture because it sounds repetitive, but honestly, it's the only thing that got us through this. Sure. 
And so through the process of changing those client numbers, we became a lot more focused in terms of what it was we were trying to sell, what message were we going to put out. And the $1,500 caused, number one, we kind of started talking about this, the Christmas card people fell off because they weren't willing to put up an extra however much money for Christmas cards. And they didn't really care about the other stuff. So those people went away. The non-orderers went away. Because even if they didn't order, even if they couldn't make a decision, they were still not a zero in their order in our books. Right. And some of those people, and it was part of it is that it's not refundable. Like right. anytime you can just let us know what you want. But if you don't let us know what it's what you want, then this is part of the fee for coming to us. Sure. So we no longer had a minimum average of zero. And then lastly, and this is key, is that the upfront commitment caused education to happen in a different way. One of the major differences between the way you and I run our business is that we do not do pre-consultations. I think they're fantastic and they solve so many of the problems that we continue to have even after doing this, but for a variety of reasons that not worth getting onto this call, that (laughs) we didn't do that. And it worked really well for us as well. So there are more ways to skin a cat. But if I were to start with someone, I would say some version of a Mm pre-consultation is the number one way. We were able to do it in a different way, but it wasn't without its downfalls is is what I'm saying. But this new price structure in a way caused the pre-consultation to happen is that the moms who were booking without the husband's approval no longer were doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were saying, okay, let me call you back. I'm going to need to talk to my husband for this. Mm-hmm. And so that was wonderful because they would ask all the correct questions and then they would talk to hubby and sometimes they wouldn't book. Mm-hmm. And we would consider that before as a failure. Now sure. we consider that as, we just dodged that bullet. Yeah. Okay. So happy they didn't book. Yeah. If you can get your head around that mentality, that feeling of quote rejection will drastically change. It, it's you only want the right fit. And so the education process changed, our branding changed, we became more focused, and we just really went through our products and our pricing and just honed down into it. And so the day we sent that email, this is important. I had started this sentence early. If you're going to make a big change, one of the number one important things to do is once you figure out who your number ones are. Take the time to pick up the phone or write them a letter in an email, depending on what kind of communication style they have. And there were even some we sent a text. That Mm -hmm. sounds impersonal, but in the day and age we live in, text is odd. And so we communicated to these clients that this change was for them. Instead of this is a negative, we phrased it as you already, your average order with us is higher than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, our pricing hasn't changed much. So for you, this is not going to change a lot of your experience with us. In fact, it's only going to get better. And we listed the reasons why. And that gave us a safety blanket to make a change. Um, it allowed us to be able to move forward and knowing that our best, best clients were, were going to be staying with us and that we had communicated directly with them. And every time we did that, they always felt like they were queens and kings of our world. And they, they are right. And they embrace that change. So the day we sent out this communication, this mass communication to our whole client base, I was on vacation. I almost vomited that morning. (laughs) 
I've never been so, so scary and terrified in my whole life. Cause literally it felt like we were jumping off the cliff because we drastically did a 180 in our business and it was scary, but that year, and this is the beauty of it. So listen up peeps. <laughs> we made more money than we ever had period. I don't care if you want to do it by hour, the total gross amount, like we crushed it because we started honing in on what was worth it to us and worth it to our clients. We stopped wasting our time and theirs. We started putting innovative, more creative products in front of them that were priced for the right amount. And they were more proud of it. And what we realized is, is the more you raise your prices, the more people want you. And it's a very scary thing. If your own pocketbook doesn't match the prices you're charging people, you can feel very vulnerable and insecure about it. But there are people who value what you do, who have the budget to pay for it. You just need to not be afraid to charge for it. And that's what we did when we jumped off a cliff and we never looked back. (laughs) It was amazing. I love it. I love all of that. Well, I thank you so much for sharing that because I think there are so many good little in between moments there that you can get a lot of value from. And what I really notice again, over the overarching story there is really is the biggest mistake. I think it's the biggest mistake human beings make. And that is comparing themselves to other people and trying to live their life by other people's rules, by other people's values, but not taking the time to really look inward and see, is this making me happy? Is this really living? Am I living to my highest and best use to how I, how I see the world? And sometimes people live their entire lives and never, never really look at that. And then have constantly chasing what seems like it would be success. And then they never really get to their own true success. And then the same with the business that on every level, as we're creating our products, our pricing are how we're working with the clients, what our quote unquote rules of engagement are, or the experience is your client experience. I've, I've been with you on a shoot. You've been with me on a shoot, our client experience. They're so taken care of in completely different ways. Yep. In very, very complete. You are so much nicer and sweeter <laughs> But you're also, you also tease and have fun, but in a completely different way, you know? So, and you attract your people and I attract my people. And so you and I know that you and I could be in the exact same town and both have thriving businesses. There's no question in my mind because they could hang our artwork next to each other and they would be completely complimentary. Yes. So many ways. And we have done. Because we, yes. we, we just are. recently had that where we had a client that moved from Dallas to Phoenix and we ha- actually have KWP hanging next to ATJ, which I love it so much. I know that's like literally the cat's meow. It's so, so much fun. I love it. So thank you for being willing to kind of open yourself up to that and let us see kind of behind the scenes, because I know there are so many that listeners that have known of you and you're such a beautiful person physically and also a beautiful person, you know, spiritually. And as a friend that sometimes it's easy, like you said, I was living my Instagram life, you know, that looked good on the outside, but truly wasn't what you wanted it to be. And that you were able to go in and make those changes and make it exactly how you want it to be. Yeah. I thank you. That's very sweet of you as always. Um, One thing I want to just say real fast that to just bring this message home, because I forgot to mention this to your listeners, is that our average increased five times. Okay. So your average sales. So going from 
430 sessions to like 120. Yes. Your average sale increased five times. Yeah. Thank so you. it actually was more, so you, needed it, to, you revenue, needed it to be four times, but it actually made it five times. What was interesting is our revenue before I started having knee and shoulder issues really bad, our revenue, when we we're doing this plan at my full physical capacity, we mm-hmm. made more top line than we did in our volume-based business. And then as we mentioned, we changed a lot in the expense side. So our bottom line drastically changed. And, and so to everyone who's listening, all I could do is just encourage you to put your hand on your heart and figure out what that is for you. What does that look like? You know, you can do exactly what we did in home-based business, but you have to be willing to make some of the tougher choices, like not being afraid to charge the right pricing, not having every product available that's available to photographers being part of your product line, mm-hmm. um, doing the work to figure out what the prices are that make sense for what you're offering and then figuring out kind of who you want to be as a artist for the clients that you have, you know, are you going to be the one-time photographer or are you going to be a series photographer for these families? And for us, when we made the change, one of the big changes is that some clients who used to come to us every year said, we love you so much, but we're going to be an every three-year person now. Yeah, And we said, wonderful. So our threes, that's where I said some of our threes became our ones. So they would save up and it just meant the world to us. So anyway, just a little help to, if you need words to push you off your ledge, off your cliff, you know, it's just so worth it. It really is. Because like I said, if this didn't work out, then great. God has something else better for me to do. That's going to honor me and my talents and my time and my family better. So if this doesn't work out, that was the kind of safety net at the bottom of the jump is that if this didn't work and my clients thought I was crazy, then great. I will do something different. That's all I need to know because I'm going to do it my way. And if I can't do it my way, I don't want to do it at all. Right. Well, exactly. And because why be in business for yourself? It's so hard. Such hard work. Like why not? And I think that if we can trust and whether whatever your faith practice is, whether it's Jesus, whether it's God, whether it's Allah, Buddha, the universe, whatever that is, I think we can all agree there are forces at work in this world that are bigger than we are. Absolutely. Love, family, other people, connection, all of those things. And if we can set aside our fear just long enough to realize that instead of thinking of life happening to us, we can think of it happening for us, that all of these things that when we try to live to our highest and best use for our clients, for our families, and for ourselves, that somehow that all conspires for good. And what you, all of those steps that you talked about, I heard it referred to once as like, look for packets of help along the way to know that you're on the right path. Uh-huh. As you start to see little packets of help along little your love journey, notes is what I call them, like yeah, a little love note, all little that love notes. Well. Thanks, yeah, <laughs> or, or those those things that are like quote unquote like coincidences, right? Yes, right. That somehow you're like, oh, that was so weird that, that those things happened, and so that it's there, and everybody has it in them to do it, and we really just encourage you. I, I can't think of anybody better to have inspired everybody than you. So thank you for being here. Appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you for asking. Love you with all my heart. (laughs) I'll be right back. Honestly, it's conversations like this with amazing friends and supportive people that have allowed me to make so many of the leaps, the scary, scary leaps in my own business and in my personal life. 
And that's why I started the rework. That's why I record this podcast every week is because I want you to have that friend, that voice in your head that is encouraging you and helping you to know that no matter whether you have some gnarly problem with the client, some pricing thing that you can't figure out, some sales problem that seems insurmountable, that actually you can do this. And yes, it takes work and it's scary and it takes leaps of faith, but you have it. And you not only have it, but you have the ability to create a business that is fully alive and fully based on your highest and best talents. And you don't have to do it exactly the way that anybody else has done it. You can do it your way. If this message is resonating with you or there's somebody that you know that's feeling discouraged that you feel like could use a little boost today, please share this episode with them. It would mean the world to us and hopefully it would help them as well. So get out there, scoot a little bit closer to that edge, throw yourself off a few of them. You might fly, you might fail. You learn from both things. You learn so much more than you ever will by holding back and holding on to that ledge and second guessing yourself. Let's take some chances and help support each other along the way. Thanks for being here. It means the world. You can find more great resources from Allison at do the rework.com and on Instagram at do.the.rework. dot